You know, a, a bad reality is, is death. And, and death is a, um, it's a, it's a part of our reality. They say in our world that two people pass away per second. Think about that. Two people a second. That means in the next minute, 120 people will die. In the next hour, roughly 7,200. Let me check my notes for a 24-hour period. About 172,000, give or take a few, will die. And this evening, we're going to talk about some things about death. Now, we're not talking about death tonight, uh, about other people that we love that have passed away. We're talking about it in regards to you and me. And I'm talking about it in regards to you being a Christian. So if you're not a Christian tonight, you need to make a beeline down here during the invitation and give your life to Christ. We're in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to talk about death from a perspective of a Christian And I will tell you, I think it's good stuff. I think it's good stuff for you and me. And again, we're talking to you personally about your death and about some things that uh, that involves. And here's here's my first thought. Death is not the ultimate enemy for the Christian. Now, it certainly is the ultimate enemy when it's losing someone you love. There's no question about it. It is. It's the great separator. It's the great divider. We're talking again about you as a Christian. It's not your ultimate enemy. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you as a Christian is to die. And I hope I can prove this to you from the text this evening. Here's the the first thing. Your human body is temporary and problematic. All you old people say amen. Y'all are over there going, in that? no, no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you hit like 25, your hair starts falling out, you get slower, everything. In 40, it's really downhill, isn't it? I mean, it, uh, your human body is, is problematic and temporary. And folks, the Greek people recognize this. The Greek people in Jesus' Paul day, despite, listen, they despised the body. They said that the flesh was evil and sinful And there was nothing good in the flesh. In fact, so much, there was a heresy that was called Gnosticism that developed that said Jesus Christ could not have had a human body because the human body is just sinful. The soul and the spirit's what's wonderful. We know that's absolutely not true. The whole thing is the incarnation is that Jesus Christ became a what? Became literally a man. Remember when after he arose from the dead, he said, touch me. Give me something to eat. Ghosts don't eat fish, correct? That's my assumption on ghosts that they don't. The human body is wonderful, but it's temporary and it's limited. And the body was affected. This is is profoundly, it's hard to get your head around it. But in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything got broken at that point. Bible says nature itself got broken. Our bodies got broken. In verse 1 of chapter 5, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building, he's talking about a body from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. 
Now, Paul was a tent maker. Paul was what we'd call a bivocational preacher and a minister much of the time, and he made tents. So Paul understood tents very well. In Corinth, he's writing to the people in Corinth. One of the things that happened about every three or four years is they had what kind of our version of an Olympic event there. And thousands of people would come from all over the world, and you didn't have hotel, motel, holiday inn, and all these things. You, so what you did is you brought your tent when your family came. If you're Scott and Ashley Hill and you've got 14 kids, you have a really huge tent. And, and you know, you, you bring your tent. Josh brings the youth tent, Justin the college tent. And so there were tents all over, over Corinth for two to three weeks or, four, or two to three months. So the people understood a tent. A tent's a great thing, but a tent is flimsy, correct? A tent is very susceptible. A tent is also meant to be a temporary dwelling. This is what God says. Your body, although it's wonderfully made, it's made in the image, you're made in the image of God, and, and, and your body was made wonderfully by God, but it's temporary and it's limited. Verse 2 through 4, he, he says a little more. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because we when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. We'll explain that more in a moment. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that we, what is mortal, will be swallowed up by life. Your body is wonderful, but it's temporary and it's problematic. But here's the second thing. He says, our heavenly body is wonderful and permanent. Our heavenly body is wonderful and permanent. Let's go to verse 1 again. We have an earthly tent. That's your earthly body that will be destroyed. We live in it. It is destroyed. We have a building. He's talking about a body from God, an eternal house. He's getting he's talking about your body in heaven, not built by human hands. Remember, the, the Greeks hated the body. The Greeks felt like they, when you died, now they didn't necessarily believe in heaven and hell like we did. They may have believed in eternal bliss or punishment. But they believed when you died, your body was gone and you were going to live as a disembodied spirit in eternity. That's how you, you would live. One of their philosophers, who was a little after Paul, but carried this thought, was a guy named Plontius. And Plontius said, your body is a tomb. It is just a beast carrying in it a soul in a spirit. Now, he talks about being naked. Did you catch that part? That's the kind of part that the youth always catch, Josh, when you read that. And, and that's an interesting part. What is he talking about? We don't want to be naked. Now, this is going to sound weird, but naked was normal in Corinth. Unfortunately, it's probably getting more and more normal in America, too. And there's nothing wrong with naked in a very, 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 very limited context. Correct? Yes. Okay. But in the Greek world, the athletic events, a lot of times, they were done in the nude. When you went to the gymnasium, you didn't put on your workout clothes. Trey, this would be disturbing. They would come to your gym, and they would walk around working out naked. Now, it was men to men and women to women, but still, that's kind of odd. Aren't you all glad for shorts? Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? It makes, makes a lot of things a lot better. Of course, the statues in the ancient world, and still you can see some today, most of them were, were nude. And so it, that was very common, the idea of nudity. But to the Jewish people, they were never comfortable with that. And I'm with the Jews on this deal here. And, and that, part of that goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When they sinned, they realized they were what? They were naked. And so they associated it with sinfulness. Now, again, in the right context, it's not. But here's what Paul was saying. Paul said, listen, dudes. Your body here is temporary and limited. Someday you're going to die. 
But I want to tell you, when you die, you're not going to be some disembodied spirit. God is going to put on you a new body. God is going to put on you a perfect body. God is going to put on you a wonderful body. Now, scholars debate on whether when we die, if this is going to happen before the resurrection, whatever. I, I, I believe that we're going to have a body then, and we'll have a complete and total perfect body in the end. I don't have it all figured out, but what Paul was telling them is, listen, we're not going to be a disembodied, naked spirit walking around eternity. And, you, and, you, and it's hard to get your hands around because you, you look, you're older, and your back hurts, and your eyes are going bad, and you can't hear, and you're going bald, and your teeth are falling out. And you're going, I don't want a body forever. God says, listen, I'm going to give you a body in heaven that's perfect. It's not going to ever hurt anymore. You're not going to have any aches and pains. You're not going to have any kind of problems. You're going to have teeth. You're going to have hair. Isn't that going to be awesome? You can get excited a little bit. That's good stuff. Someone said when we die, we're going to have the wisdom of a 70-year-old, the optimism of a 20-year-old, and the body of a 15-year-old. And God's people said, isn't that wonderful? That's great. See, see, the good news is, is what, you, what you're carrying around now, your body, it, it houses your soul and spirit. And it's temporary. But someday when you leave this earth, God's got something for you that's going to be far better than that. That's going to be permanent and eternal and wonderful. Here's the third thing he tells us about heaven and about death. In heaven, we will literally be in the Lord's presence. Not only are we going to get a new body that's going to be perfect, that's going to be permanent. When you walk into heaven, you are going to be, in, in our understanding, in the literal, physical presence of God. Verse 6 and 8. Verse 6, therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body here, we are away from the Lord. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Philippians one twenty three. Paul says this, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul said, I don't know if I want to keep living or if I want to go on to be to heaven. Now, how many of you have heard of a theological position called soul sleep? You ever heard of that? Some of you have. Soul sleep is not uncommon. What soul sleep believes is this. When a person dies... They don't go right to heaven. Their body lays in the ground. Their soul and spirit lays in the ground. It's, it's, it's your unconscious. You're asleep. And they get this understanding from the resurrection. And they believe that when Jesus comes back and the trumpet sounds and the, the, the bodies rise from the grave, that at that point the soul wakes up and you go to be with the Lord forever. Now, that's not a heretical position, but is it a correct position? And I think the answer is no, it is not a correct position. Paul didn't say, you know what, I look forward to being asleep in the grave for two or 3,000 years. Paul said, listen, when I die, I'm going to walk into heaven and I'm going to see Jesus. He said, you know what, God is with us today. There's no question about that. God is with us. God is in this room. God is in you if you were a Christian. God is with us. That's not an emotion. That is a fact. But the difference is when you walk into heaven, you're going to see the Lord. Isn't that awesome? No, it's not. I wouldn't be excited about that at all. Let me tell you something. It's far better than the alternative and walking in the other place and seeing the other guy. Correct, Amendo? Jesus, you've got horns. Uh-oh, you made a bad mistake if that's what happens. Years ago, I had a, a, a man in my church 
There's a great guy. He's just a baby Christian, young Christian. And his son asked him one time, and I got in the middle of this. He said, you know, Daddy, am I ever going to see God? Uh, and, the, and the dad said, no, no one will ever see God. Well, the truth is, Revelation 22.4, look what Revelation, Revela- Revelation 22.4 says. Read that with me. Man, can you imagine? You get to heaven, you're going to have hair again. You're going to have muscles Nothing's going to sag. Nothing's going to hurt. And then you're going to see Jesus. Wow. That doesn't get you excited, man. You're, uh, something's a problem. See, the, the Bible tells us death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christ follower. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you and me. We'll be in the literal presence of God. Here is another thing that is so wonderful, too. God guarantees this. Now, you know, and I think with our crowd on Sunday night, you don't need an extra guarantee from God because you take him at his word. But isn't it neat God throws a guarantee on this? And uh, look in verse 5 with me. Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us this, his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You got the Holy Spirit at salvation. If you're a Christian tonight, you receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says, the minute you became a Christian. Okay? Now, he says here, the Holy Spirit is a deposit and a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is several things. One, he's God in you, he's your comforter, he's your guide, he is your convictor. Uh, he, he's a lot of things, but he's also a deposit the Bible says, and a guarantee. What does this mean? This Greek word guarantee literally means a partial payment on a total obligation. It's a partial payment on a total obligation. In modern Greek, this same biblical word is used for an engagement ring. I give this ring to this lady saying to her that I'm pledging to marry her in the future. In our world, it would be called a deposit, wouldn't it? Maybe an engagement ring or a down payment. Now, here's the thing. You go, well, you know what? People get engaged and don't get married all the time. Unfortunately, people make a down payment and they don't follow through on the payment. Let me tell you, God, God follows through on what he says. God didn't have to throw this extra guarantee in here, but he did for your sake and my sake. God said, listen, what I'm telling you about heaven is true. That ought to be enough. But God says, I'm not only telling you that, I'm going to put a guarantee. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit is a deposit, and he is my guarantee that what I am started in you, I'm going to fulfill someday in the end. Isn't that wonderful? The one saved always saved, absolutely. If the Holy Spirit comes in you, friend, he's not coming out of you. He's God's guarantee in your heart that you belong to Jesus. He's your... God's guarantee in your heart you're going to make it through to the end. He's God's guarantee that everything he's telling us here is absolutely true. Philippians 3.20 is a neat little verse. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? When you think about this, all of us are missionaries. You know that? Every one of us is a missionary. If you're a Christian, you're here on a foreign soil representing God. Your, your, Your main home is in heaven. 
And someday what's waiting for you there is a perfect body and perfect health and a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. Here's what he tells us to do. Number one, trust this by faith. This is too good to be true, isn't it? You'll be able to jump high and run fast, never get tired, never get a cold. Some people aren't going to know what to do. They've complained for so many years. (laughs) Verse 7. We live by faith, not by sight. How how do you buy into the perfect body in heaven in a face-to-face with Jesus? You trust it by faith is what he's saying here. You trust it. It's not that you deny reality. It's not that you become so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. But it's saying that you put your faith in Christ, that what Christ says is true, and that it's going to come true. Faith puts God's perspective on everything. How many of you have ever been to a 3D movie or museum? You know, they give you those little goofy glasses and you go in. And, and if, you, if you don't have those glasses, a lot of times the, the picture's distorted, isn't it? And, and you can't really understand it and make it out. But if you put those glasses on, it comes, you know, if it's a good movie, it comes to life, doesn't it? I mean, the dinosaur jumps at you and uh, you know, you, it's just really, it's vivid. Listen, living by faith is putting on the 3D glasses. It helps you make sense out of what's going on here. It, it helps you keep your, your heart and your soul anchored in God. Faith says this, I believe what God's saying. I don't feel it. Too many Christians, we live by feelings. We live by our emotions. Faith says, I trust it, I believe it, I'm holding on to it. And faith helps me make sense and trust that all this, even though it sounds too good to be true, I want to tell you, I believe when we walk into heaven, we're going to go, oh my goodness, this is really true. Because it's going to be so fantastic. Faith believes it now. And in the last thought in this wonderful passage, in light of all this, we should live well. Live well today in light of all these wonderful things. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please God. Whether we're at home in the, in the body or away from it. We'll, you'll be away from it someday. You're at home in it today. You, you know, he says we make it our goal to please him. In some translations it says to be well-pleasing That was actually a Greek slogan in Paul's day that he may have seen uh, inscribed on different things. Well-pleasing. And literally it meant uh, uh, the the concept of loyalty and fidelity. It's saying this, that in light of what God has guaranteed, that we trust this. Now listen to me. We trust it. And that we say, you know what? For what God's got in store for us, we're going to be loyal and faithful to him to the very end. We're going to live for God 110%. We're going to quit being babies and whiners and self-centered people. We're going to be a church. We're going to be Christians who get up and grow up and get going. We're on the winning team. You ever thought about that? We've already won. 
And we're going to live with optimism. We're going to live with love. We're going to live with honor. We're going to live with fidelity. And we're going to make the most of this life while we are here in this temporary problematic body. Because what's waiting for us on the other side is unbelievable. Because of what God has done and what God has got in store for you and me, we are horrible if we won't make a commitment to live for him with all of our heart. You may not even be saved. You know who Reggie Jackson is? Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson was a great professional baseball player. He was known for a lot of things. He, he had an attitude. <laughs> he uh, could hit a great baseball, long ball. He was known as Mr. October. And if you don't know much about baseball, that's when the pennant and the World Series is played. Reggie was a fantastic playoff and World Series guy. He played in 27 World Series games. He's one of only a few people in the many World Series that have been played that hit three home runs in one game. 1977 World Series, he hit five home runs in that one series. He hit ten home runs in all his World Series appearance. In other words, Reggie Jackson in the biggest stage ever in baseball was absolutely at its best. And he told people, I live for October. I live for the pennant and the World Series because that's when I'm going to shine. But here's a little secret he threw in. He said, but I know this. If I'm going to shine in October, i got to shine in May, April, May, June, July, August, and September. That's the only way you get to shine in October. Folks, I want to tell you the time for shining is coming. And if you keep that in mind, what's waiting for you? It ought to motivate you now. It ought to motivate you to swing for the fence, to be the best you can be, to leave it on the field, to do everything you can to live for God the very best you can. Because something far greater than a World Series is in store for those who love Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you're a Christian, maybe where you're standing, maybe down front, it's time to to maybe take your life to another level. To say... To say to God tonight, God, in view of what you've got in store for me, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Maybe you want to make a fresh recommitment or repent of some things tonight. When we stand, do that where you're standing or at the altar. Maybe you want to join the church. We'd love for you to do that. Or, you know, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, goodness gracious, it's pretty easy sale, isn't it? I mean, everything God's got in store for you. Just think about this. The opposite of Christianity, that's what's waiting for someone who dies without Christ. You don't want that. So you come tonight and give your life to Christ if you don't know him. Let's stand. As God leads you, respond to him this evening.